and welcome to the 12th episode of the Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game developers and ask them about their starting industry, what the influences are, and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on the developer themselves, and in the second half, we discuss the game they're here to promote, which in this case is Card Hunter by Blue Man Chu. Jonathan, introduce yourself, sir. Hi, I'm uh, I'm John Che from from Blue Manchu, as Chris said, and lately we've been working on Card Hunter, which is our first game, and is an online collectible card game, uh, role playing game mashup hybrid, uh, which is um, has been around for uh, about six months now online, and um, uh, yeah, so we're looking forward to talking about that today. Yeah. So, who are you, sir? Are you, what, who am I? <laughs> what's your role at Blue Manchu? I mean, obviously you're found. Um, I'm. I'm. Blue Manchu is 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 sort of me. Uh, yeah. It's it's a bunch of. We have a bunch of um, of people who have been working on Card Hunter, but Blue Manchu is my company, which I started. Great name, by the way. Great. Name. Oh, thanks. Yeah, <laughs> it's um, it's it's an interesting. There's a whole separate um, discussion about the name, but um. <laughs> Kind of an interesting name, but um, uh, yeah, it's 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 not really a one-man show, but it is it is my company. I have one other guy that I work with who's um, a permanent full-time uh, employee. That's Ben Lee, who's the art director. But the rest of the people on the team are, are contractors. So Blue Man Shoe is kind of a. I think it's fair to call it an indie developer. Yeah, uh, we're certainly we're certainly pretty on, on the small side. Um, and um, we've been around <clears throat> for probably uh, three and a half years now. And during the, that entire time, we've been working on one project, which is Card Hunter. So we really are just the Card Hunter team at this stage. Although I would hope that in the future, you know, we're going to expand out and, and do some other things. Mm. And um, so prior, prior to that, um, if anybody knows me or, or my work, you, you probably be more familiar with the other things that I've done, which are that I, I used to run Irrational Games uh, as one of the um, partners and founders of that company. And, um, of course, we did games like Bioshock and System Shock 2 and Freedom Force and so on. So I, I had a – my background was doing different kinds of games, immersive first-person shooters and mm. larger teams and for PC and console and so Card Hunter and, and Blue Manchu is really a bit of a bit of a departure and a, and a new venture for me. Yeah, it's a good, well, huge departure. But I found yeah. that a lot of developers, um, you say, oh, they're famous for this game. Yes, that's right. And then they make this completely different game. Like, how did that, well, there's creatives. Well, that's the point, isn't it, really? Well, I think um, it can get a little tedious mm. doing the same thing over and over again. I mean, there's there's definitely an advantage to to always working on the same genre. You you build up a body of expertise, and and you can you can always do something new within that genre. But at the same time, it's obviously very refreshing to to get a chance to do something different. And in my case, I always really loved playing board games. And you know, we were chatting before before the show about mm. um, role playing games and. Um, strategy games are also something that's very dear to me, and I, I never had a chance to work on those at Irrational. So no, uh, not, was, not really was, famous was, for RTSs, were they? Really? No. Although Freedom, <laughs> Freedom Force was the closest we came. I don't, I don't know if mm. you're familiar with that game, but it yes. was a top-down real-time strategy game mm-hmm. and, or RPG, I guess, uh, tactical RPG. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. but uh, I would have. I think I would have. Um, probably been happier with Freedom Force if it was a turn-based game, <laughs> um, but it, but it, it wasn't designed that way, and um, that was the closest I'd ever come to to working on that kind of game. So, how did you make your start? Was it irrational, or was it? Did you do things before then? No, I actually started. My first job in the industry was for Looking Glass. Oh, uh, right. Which was a a, a game developer based in mm. Boston who did the original System Shock, which we later did did the sequel to. And, of course, they did other games like Thief and mm. Ultima Underworld, a whole bunch of, um, I, I guess, best described as sort of immersive first-person uh, games as well as other things. So, for example, I, w- I worked on, on a golf game there 
and you know they they had a flight simulator line and a bunch of other types of products. I they were a developer those. and yes. Is it Flight One, Two, and Flight Unlimited? Flight Unlimited. Mm. And two. They did three as well, didn't they? Or there was a third. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't remember that exactly. That really the pushed the, the uh, technology of the time, wasn't it, of the machines? It was, it was very much focused around um, super uh, high res for the time mm. uh, landscapes. So you kind of had the Microsoft flight simulator thing where you were flying over big blocky polygons. That's right, yeah. And then, and then you had um, Flight Unlimited, which was a much smaller scope but mm. looked incredible at the yeah. time. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, we, yeah. This, this was quite a star, could it be said. Um, so I was very lucky to get a, to get a job there. Um, I was hired as, a, as a, um, an AI programmer there okay. in the late 90s and worked there for a few years. And that's where I met Ken Levine and Rob Fermier, who were the two other p- people that um, started Irrational Games with me. Hmm. And um, so, I mean, were you always a, a programmer and um, did you learn formally from school? Were you just self-taught or a bit of both? Uh, I was self-taught and, and then I studied uh, at, at university. I, I got my start. Um, my first computer was a TRS-80 Model 1 with 4K of memory. Right. Uh, which, and that's I, where I taught myself to program in BASIC. Um, and then I went on and, and at university I studied computer science and I, and then I actually studied cognitive psychology, wow. which was, um, interesting, but you know, a little bit of a dead end for me. And, mm. um, but, but although it did lead to me getting hired as an AI programmer at looking glass. Yes. So that was intre- That was an interesting kind of, it didn't really have a lot to do with AI, but it, but it, it opened that door for me. Because you had an interest in that kind of. In because they processes. thought I knew a yeah. lot about AI. Yeah, because you <laughs> I, did that. They're like, not really, no. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I was like, sure, I can write, I can write some AI for you. Yeah, um, I got, I got hired on that basis, and and then I, um, just be, you know became more of a general kind of game programmer. Yeah, uh, and then when we set up a rational, we had there were th- basically, as I said, there were three three partners, and we sort of split the jobs uh ken was obviously got the design and creative stuff and rob rob was actually a much better programmer than me so he got the he was in charge of the technology so what was left for me was project management and and running the studio (laughs) so i started doing that even though i knew absolutely nothing about it Mm. but he had the nous and understanding and that sort of thing and empathize with the process of making games so therefore you could do that Right? I figured it out. Yeah. I, I didn't know. I really didn't know anything about it. I, right. I, I, I literally knew nothing about it, other than the fact that I, you know, someone else had. I'd seen other people managing projects. Right. So I just kind of bumbled my way through it. Yeah. Well, which is, I think, often a good way to learn. It is. It is. Um, that's great. I mean, I love hearing these stories about where people start, and we've got various stories and various developers and how they. It ranges from formal schooling to doing weird demos on Amigas. Uh, all valid. All valid. Um, yeah, I grew up. With that. The, Sorry. No, I think there, there were. You know, the, the, there's probably a more standard way to get into the industry now. Mm. But back at you know when the industry was smaller, obviously in the late '90s, it was very fairly big. People who got in the eighties, you know, pretty much all self-taught. Yeah. But even even when I came in, there wasn't, you know, a, a sort of a regular path. Like if you thought I want to be a game developer, it wasn't always exactly clear how you'd go about doing that. No, and indeed, what role you actually put got into there, and um, mm. usually it's much smaller teams, and a lot of them were actually working in assembly and stuff like this. So, mm. you know, or, or machine code, it was known back in the day. Where it's not so much now these days. Lots no. of libraries and stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm happy um, to avoid that stuff. Yeah, <laughs> um, but back in the day, they had no choice, um, no That's memory, right. of course. Yeah. Um, so, next question. Then, what is your? This is a big sort of amorphous question, which most developers go, "I don't know how to answer this, but I'll try." Mm-hmm. What are your biggest influences? Do you think, in terms of the types of games that I I want to make? Well, maybe, or just the when you are creating something or inventing something, what is it something you keep on orbiting 
mm. keep on returning to? I think there are probably a couple of different things. I mean, I think certainly with Card Hunter, the biggest influence is Dungeons and Dragons and classic fantasy role-playing games. And, and I think, you know, I, I think it actually anybody who's working in the games industry is influenced by Dungeons and Dragons, that, you know, whether they know it or not. I mean, this is the game that invented hit points and levels, you know. I mean, there the really is hardly a game out there that doesn't use some concept that Dungeons and Dragons invented. Even sort Call of, of Duty. Actually, no, especially Call of Duty, yes. It's yeah, everywhere. everything. 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 Um, and, FIFA, for God's sake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, role-playing, even more overt role-playing elements have sort of, you know, infiltrated lots of games now, you know, like most lots of games that traditionally were just sort of action-oriented now have some sort of levelling system and experience experience points, you know, like another thing that, that Dungeons & Dragons invented. So, I mean, I think it's very hard to to overstate the, the influence of that game. And it certainly, for me, it was a big influence too because, you know, I, it was part of my childhood and and it sort of inspired me to, to want to go and create games too. Um, but I, I also think the other, the other thing that sort of influenced my work and my career is obviously all the all the games that I came into contact with at Looking Glass, and um, you know they're an, an incredible development studio who who made these, and they I think really pioneered you know what I referred to before as like immersive first person simulations, and um, those games I think are uh, were, were were really exciting to me at the time. I mean I was just absolutely wrapped up in playing. Ultima on the world and and the original System Shock, and and I, I when I obviously worked there, I was I got even more interested in the, in those games. It was an incredible, it was really a dream come come true for me mm. to, be, to be able yeah. to go and work there. And um, there were a lot of very very smart people there who I learned a lot from, and I think I I took a, away a lot of kind of uh, ways of approaching game design and development. Um, I think it's obviously wherever you start work, you, you're always, always going to leave a bit of a legacy yeah. with you. And certainly I think, you know, Irrationals, I think a lot of what Irrational Games did grew out of, I mean, obviously grew out of the Looking Glass legacy, in the, you know, in the sense that our first game was a direct sequel to one of their games, System Shock 2. And, um, you know, Bioshock is obviously a really continuation of that, that style of game. It was amazing how much they squeezed out of the earlier systems that we forget. We don't realise mm. how. I mean, it wasn't. You didn't. You did have RAM and issues, but nowhere near as bad as the early early days when mm. you know where people were messing around with twenty two kilobytes of memory and this sort of nonsense. Yeah. But even still, you did have to juggle that power and that sort of thing. Not so much these days, of course. Maybe well, not. it was Maybe a, been a lot. Of, a lot of the time, a lot of the time you spent. In, in game development then was finding ways to squeeze things into limited resources. And of course, yeah. as you say, there's always a, there is always a resource constraint. You never have infinite resources, mm. but you, you just don't, it's, it, it, you don't bump into those limits nearly as often now, which I think no. is quite empowering. It's nice not to have to worry about, well, how, how big is that texture? You know, we're going to have to downsample it or let's try and reuse these textures because we can't afford any more. And, Poly, you know the polygon polygon count used to be you know something that was you know like really important for i mean if you look at those old looking glass games it's that's hard sort of one yeah. thing that jumps out at you really <laughs> quickly is like wow those characters are made up of several boxes and a cylinder you know so, <laughs> yeah exactly yeah and they, they literally are and um yeah I, you know there's a there's a there are a lot of tricks to to making that kind of stuff look okay but it's um, you, it's a lot of work to, mm. to which you'd rather be spending kind of doing interest, more interesting stuff, things. I mean, well, at least I. Yeah, I mean, a good example of that is you know, what World of Warcraft did, and their, mm. their 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 polygon models is you know again similar, very limited, but their texture work, dear God. Yeah, yeah no, they were they are absolute masters at yeah, you know, making the best out of a very small, um, you know, very limited 
set of set of resources, which they set upon themselves because that's how it was successful. That's yeah, one of the reasons I say people about World of Warcraft is the reason it's so successful is you could stand on top of a hill and keep running and not have a loading screen. Yeah, amazing. That's that's what bothers me about other MMOs. New ones come out like you've got another loading screen. Don't you learn? It looks Mm. fantastic, but you're in this tiny little box. And then as soon as you leave yep. that box, it's oh look, it's back to EverQuest, and oh look, another. Yep. <laughs> yep. That's a, that's that's the trap, isn't it? When you have too yeah. many resources, you start getting too wasteful and, and not thinking about that kind of stuff at all. No, whereas World of Warcraft, you always knew where you were, or it's not right. gone away. So you stand on top of a hill and go, I'm here. You know, there's, a, there's no loading screen, there's no zone, nothing. It's just I'm here. Right, and it's important. That's why. And I've always said this to people, I'm like, oh yeah. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, well, I don't play so, WoW anymore. But <laughs> looking, looking glass games, I think were were, were focused in, in a. I mean, they, they varied, but but the the games that I mentioned, Ultima Underworld and, and the mm. original System Shock, were, were more focused, I think, on an attempt to, you know, they were very constrained spaces, but the, their focus was on making them very very detailed. Yeah. You know, and and, it, and it, they stand, I think, in contrast to. Con- contemporary games like at the time the games like doom or like a little, little bit later on quake you know which were sort of really dominant in the first person mm-hmm. market back then which were action oriented and very simple worlds you know like they're yes. um not not a lot of interaction beyond shooting monsters and, and mm. running over power-ups and which is exactly you know i mean that's not not to knock those games it's what no. they they wanted to do and they were very successful at doing and looking glass games were much more about having a very large number of objects that you could interact with in in a lot of different ways you know so things that you could pick up and knock over and sounds that moved around in the environment and doors that you could open and shut and you know monsters that were you know had doing things yeah terminals you could interact with Right. Stuff like that. And also, and the, yeah, the monsters who would scare the poop out of you. Uh, right. Yeah, sorry. And <laughs> so, so a lot of, yeah, so very rich worlds. And I think that that's something that sort of, you know, has always been an inspiration for me or an influence, I guess. So this moves on to the next question really is, um, and some developers do not answer this because they don't want to single anyone out, but who, if anyone, do you admire most out there and why? Could be a company, uh, could be a person, could be both. Interesting question. Um, I, I mean, yeah, it's 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 a dangerous question to answer because it by by mentioning anyone, you kind of potentially are sort of excluding others. And I think there mm. are a huge number of people doing really interesting things. And I think that's part of your job as a developer is to pay attention to what other people are doing because yes, you know, there's there, there's there's a lot of very smart people out there doing doing great work i think if i had to pick one company who i think uh most impressive it's very hard to go past valve you know who perhaps less these days for their for what they're doing with creating games and you know but their their impact on the industry in terms of and their their, the breadth of their vision i think for what they're trying to do is is incredible i mean they've you know yeah i still remember still remember when steam first appeared Mm. And the, the feedback was no, no, right, no, right. It, no. Was, it was it was pretty bad when, yeah, when they launched. I think was it like one of the Half Life games with Half Life Two, yeah, Half Life yeah. Two, yeah. And it was nobody could download it, and servers were falling over and whatever. But yeah. you know, look at it now. I know uh, it's the it's, platform. It's, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's 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 pretty hard to go past them as as a company. Uh, in terms of individual developers, I mean, I, I think I I. Honestly, I I feel most. I mean, I it, it's probably people I work with because yeah. you know you get to know those people so well, and I think it's. Um, I always find it um, interesting that you can. I don't. I suppose I. Sh- it, it shouldn't be surprising, but I think it, I, I'm impressed. I'm always impressed when you can work with someone for a very long period of time, and they're still. You still feel like you're learning something you know, from, from working with that person. Um, and that's true for, for a lot of the people I've worked with. And certainly the people I, I started Irrational with, Ken and Rob, you know, I, th- I still think are in- incredible game developers. Um, you know, a lot more people probably know about Ken and he's obviously 
you know, made a, made a real name for himself in the industry. And, he, and that's, you know, because he has an incredible set of skills, creative skills. And, but also Rob Fermio has been, you know, is a, one of the best developers I've ever worked with and, and is still doing some great work. He works for Robot. I don't know if you're familiar with Robot. He did Orcs Must Die and Hero Academy. Oh, they're, yes. They're also, that's, yeah, there's a pair of lovely games, yeah. Yeah, nice. So I, still, I think still doing great work. And, and Rob was one of those people who, you know, was just really inspiring to work with because mm. he's just so great at, at, at everything he does. And and the people I'm working with now at, at Blue Manchu, you know, um, Ben, who I work with here in the office in Sydney, is just really, you know, a very creative guy and a, and a guy who I really enjoy working with and is always kind of, um, you know, we're always able to generate a lot of, um, I think, really good work working together. And um, also Jared, who... His works on um, on Card Hunter with us you know, on an almost sort of full time basis, and he's a you know one of these guys who's both a a game designer and a programmer. He does his own indie games as well as the stuff he does with us, and that's always I think very impressive. Someone who's able to um, you know to to not just do do ones one of these sort of compartmentalized tasks that you tend to get now in, the, in big teams, but but do a little bit of everything. I think is that's always very impressive. So yeah, yeah so basically most of the most of the people I've had the for, good fortune to work with over over the course of my career have been um, very admirable in in one way or another. Yeah, the developers I've spoken to a lot, mainly indie developers, and they're multi-skilled. I mean, one one chap who's the the um, project manager and studio lead and musician. <laughs> mm, yeah. <laughs> like, hang on, did, did rewind a lot because most most uh, developers contract out their music or they get it licensed. No, 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 I I do that. I yeah. No, that's yeah. if some there are some people who can literally do everything yeah. on their project. You know, program it, design it, do the level design, do the sound, do the music. Mm. Um, you know, do the marketing, do the PR. You know, do the do the testing and bug fixing. I mean, it's, that's that's really. I can do a lot of those things, but I certainly can't do all of them. Um, and you know, Ben, who I work with here, has got a very complementary set of skills to me. So a lot of the things I can't do, he can do. Um, so just yesterday, for example, we um, went and did some voice recording for some of the new monsters that we have in the game, and then Ben's going to mm-hmm. take those and um, you know chop them up and run them through some. Um, post-processing to try to get them to sound, you know, like we want our monsters to sound. And yeah. That's Rather than not some something that yelling down the microphone, actually. Yeah, and that's probably not something that's on his resume, but, you know, it's something that he, um, you know, is prepared to, you know, to have a go at, and I'm sure will do a, a good job at. And that's that's sort of the essence of indie game development and, and what I think makes it interesting and because it's, you know, it's so challenging and, and um you know, always got something new to, to worry about. You do live in extraordinary times with regards to games. I mean, extreme times, I believe. There is mm. the triple... I hate the expression triple. I don't know what it means. But this this high-budget sort of stuff yeah. that's out there. I mean, like Titanfall comes out in a couple of days over here and that yeah. sort of thing, okay? And then we've got yourselves. And mm. there seems to be very little in the middle, actually. Mm. Mm. Yeah, the, I mean, the middle, the middle ground is is a little is has you know has always been a kind of a problematic place to be. I think mm. it was an, interesting when we were running irrational games. I think that was the thing we were always in the the biggest danger of is is where where were we? You know, we, because we did sit sort of sit in the middle for a long time, where we were, you know, in some sense a you know, a triple A in, in quotes developer. But on the other hand, we our budgets were were not at the same level as the as the real big no, budget I mean, it's, studios. It's odd. So we were, you, yeah. You, you we were like trying that. to compete with in that market without necessarily the resources to do it. And that's a very, very dangerous place to be. You um, sort of now, like halfway between niche and mainstream. It was like Right. Yeah. Like critiques, but you know, yeah, and that's I think what happened with Bioshock is that we we finally got the the budget to to really be competitive, mm. uh, 
and you know that and then and and then we were were able to be competitive it's it, you know some of the sort of tasks we got given before that were just sort of impossible like we were um you know when we were we were working on the on a tribes game i remember we were sort of told you know your competition is half-life 2 and they're like well we've got like a two million dollar budget and i don't know what their budget is but i think it's more like 30 or 40 million dollars yeah um that's a little bit difficult for us to compete with them but yeah you know, tried <laughs> yeah well you know but then they can't count to three so you got that haven't you really there's a new tribes game out so yes yeah, something's yeah. going right for that franchise yeah yeah, it's also free to play, but we'll talk about that in a second. But the last mm-hmm. question I like to ask developers, my favourite one, is give you a little hint about mm-hmm. what they may be working on, but normally it's completely a complete red herring. Um, but it's something that most podcasters like to ask each other anyway. But what are you playing right now? I mean, I can share with you what I'm playing. Oh, okay. Right now, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I it's interesting. I don't really play very many kind of um, classic you know, PC or console games. Anyway. Yeah, by the I way, play, it can't be anything because we do. Yeah, so I play a lot. I play a lot of iOS games, and right, right now, like right right now today, I I think I even played it this morning. Yeah, um, a short period of time. I'm playing a uh, quite a, an unusual game called Calculords. All right, which is a a um, a math based deck building card game <laughs> which makes it sound appallingly boring but actually i think it's a really fun little game is it just arithmetic um, or we're we talking calculus arithmetic so, okay. so 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 it's basically it's a card game right um you know in a sort of classic magic sort of summon creatures style kind of game only to play a card um, you have to every card has a number, you know, like fifty-four, and you have to make that number. And you've got a little box full of numbers, and you have to like add or multiply them to get to that number. And oh. it sounds really tedious, but it's sort of for me, it's it's just the right amount of sort of. I like fiddling around with numbers. Like I, I, I um, I'm not, I'm not like a, you know, a total sort of math whiz or anything but I, that's a sort of it's actually fairly sort of simple sort of form of interaction with numbers that I like and it's also got a lot of character it's um, it's developed by um, I don't know what his real name is but his his um, his um, internet name is Sean Baby I right. don't know if you remember him he's he's, he's um, done, a, done a, he sort of writes a lot of humorous articles about games and um he, this is sort of, I guess, his pet project, and it's a it's a very nerdy little game, but it's um, got a lot of charm, and I think it's, it's really iPhone, well designed. I, I have a 5s. Yeah, so it's a it's an iOS game. Yeah, okay. it's fine on a, it's you can play it on a phone or an iPad. So yeah. I'm I'm really really enjoying that, and okay. and apart from that, I um I play a lot of World of Tanks, which I've been playing for the last <laughs> probably three years now. Wow, because I hear yeah. people keeping people people I trust and love, and you know like. You should play this. It's tanks. No, really, mm. it's tanks. It, it tanks. Well, I love tanks. So, yeah, you know, that's. Uh, I, I've always had a bit of a, a bit of a thing for tanks, um, ever since I was probably about five. So I think for people like me, World of Tanks is perfect because you get to drive around these tanks, and you know, it's a, it's um sort of quasi-realistic in the sense that the. You know the tanks look like real tanks, but but it's also quite cleverly designed so that it's it it's fairly fun to play. Isn't it? I mean, it's I mean it's not yeah, a it looks good now. It looks pretty good for mm. say more than good. It's it's a well-rounded good game. I haven't I haven't tried it on console, but it's no. yeah. It's certainly, I think the other good thing about it is that it's a uh, I think it's really interesting because it's a it's quite a hardcore game and it's free to play, and that's yeah. sort of been interesting to me because you know we're also trying to build or have built up what we think is a fairly hardcore game which is free to play and mm-hmm. and you know with a model that's you know tries to do both be something that you can actually make a living out of but also isn't horribly unfair and um you know isn't designed to just screw people out of more money than they really want to spend so i've, I've been playing world of tanks as i said for several years now have you put and I've spent a, a reasonable it? amount of money on it. Right. Sorry? 
How much do you think? Um, I probably, probably spent too much, like but... I don't know a hundred, maybe a little bit over a hundred dollars. Um, you know, which Australian I actually think is pretty. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I actually think it's pretty fair for something that I've been playing for that long. Yeah. In fact, it's well, probably I probably should spend more on it. I think that was always kind of a problem for these persistent, you know, like if you were playing uh, Counter-Strike, you know, in in the late 90s um, mm-hmm. or, you know, early 2000s, people would maybe spent several years playing Counter-Strike and never paid anything beyond the initial purchase of the game. Yeah. And that was kind of fair enough because, you know, the, nobody ran this essential set of service for it and so on. So it was all, nobody was Well, it was a mod, wasn't it? It was a free mod. Yeah, it's a mod, yeah. But then on the other hand, when you you turn a game like that into a a persistent service where you continue releasing new content and, you know, managing the servers and so on, it's like you really... Some, you know, some you should keep paying for that really because you're you're continuing to use somebody's service. And I guess one one approach is obviously the subscription model, but that has has its problems because it's kind of you know it's like well if you don't think you're going to be playing a lot this month, then you're probably going to let your subscription lapse. And yeah. um, this this World of Tanks model is sort of very much like you know if you're just sort of fooling around with it and you don't feel like you need to make a lot of progress at the moment, you can just play free. I mean, I, I, there are many months where I just pay it, play it for free and don't bother buying anything. Mm. Uh, and then if I feel like I want to buy something, I, I'll do it. Um, yeah. So I think I it's, mean, a, it's an interesting model. I mean, speaking personally, I've played a lot of Path of Exile, mm-hmm. which is uh, a hack and slash RPG in a Diablo form, only free to play. Yeah. And everything they offer is just, you know shiny stuff that doesn't actually affect right. the game in any way <laughs> right yeah i've so, heard a lot of a lot of complimentary things about their model i haven't actually yeah. played it myself i would i would actually have a look just from mm. a professional point of view yeah absolutely. it's not quite up there with diablo because you know of course it's not but it's pretty mm. close um mm. and uh, the other game of sort of um, um dota 2 of course which is just right right hats there's no every, all the stuff they sell there i mean everything is unlocked from the get-go right from the start mm-hmm. the entire game is available to you as a mm. game you don't have to pay a penny uh, mm. but uh, be, there are enough people who what's ingenious is that they they you can change the um the ui and the sounds and everything mm-hmm. in the game yeah. for a fee doesn't right. that affect the game in any way it's just right. that it means you get your own custom experience for a small fee. Well, it's it's somewhat yeah. analogous, I think, to the yeah. you know the, just some of the stuff, other stuff on the internet um, that's you know obviously sort of taken over in the last few years, which is that you know the the idea that these services are free and you launch them and you try to get a huge critical mass of people and really invested in it and then you know you figure out how to make money out of them later mm. which is obviously very different than the way games were traditionally sold or yeah indeed any other sort of products or services have been sold for for most of it is <laughs> most of human cute. history um and the, the other two games that i thought you you need to know is uh, have you heard of threes you must have heard of this one i i have played threes yeah yeah it's, um, <laughs> It's a great little game. Yeah. That's a great little game. I'm terrible at it, but most I've scored is about eight thousand, and it's just like I don't oh, know, my brain just locks up. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's um, it's a yeah, it's a it's a very cleverly designed game. It is. A little can be a little bit sort of phone poundingly frustrating at times. But, yeah, it's like why are you giving me a twelve now? No, no, <laughs> no, no, not a, not there, not there. <laughs> uh, but the other one is I'm part of a, a board game group over here in London, um, mm-hmm. and uh, they're massive. Uh, it's, uh, it's they run. Events. I'm very jealous. Yeah, they, I wish I had that in Sydney. Yeah, they they run events every day of the week. Wow, uh, seven days a week, and sixty maybe fifty sixty people show up every day uh, at this pub in central London. Well, pubs now. We've got actually got like we've gone to different venues. We're just growing and growing and growing. Uh, it's a fantastic group, um, and there's regular people go there. And the game I play I've got recently is called Tales Tales of the Arabian Nights. Have you heard of this? Okay. No, Tales, I of Ra- heard of it. Tales of the Arabian Nights. The reason I raise it with you is that you know the choose your own adventure bo- uh, books mm. that you can get on iPad now. Yeah. Um, was well, basically that, but as a board game. So. Mm. You have this book that everyone has to read out to each other and your 
you know, in medieval Arabia and also in Europe and Asia, and you're just walking around the the the, the map, going on ridiculous adventures, <laughs> and you know, doing choosing things to do like you know mm. do you punch the beggar woman or do mm. you you know and it's like okay i'll do this and then you say oh i choose to do this and you go to this paragraph in this book and you have these people your your fellow players reading out this stuff to you. you go okay well she was actually a demon and now mm. she's flayed you and you're now insane <laughs> and you get and it's a, it's a fantastic fantastic so game it's a, it's a sort of a board a mix Mixing yeah. the choose your own adventure idea with a board game with, with the board pieces, game. That you, yeah. yeah, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'm really, I, I do like these sort of high. I mean, Card Hunter is very much sort of mm. that idea, you know, of hybridizing two things that, you know, two great flavors that are e- even better when you put them together. In our case, it's sort of you know board games and and card games and role playing games. <laughs> and what's lovely about it is that although there is a victor at the end. Mm. Ultimately, everyone's won because they're laughing at each other. Right, doing. Right. I mean, there's sometimes players just go, I can't win, so I'm just going to do mm. dumbass stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I'm now, oh, look, I'm diseased. Hurrah! <laughs> well, yeah. one time, well, I think, yeah, I got turned into a monkey. That was great. So. <laughs> That's that's the great thing about about board games and and paper and pencil role playing games. I guess even more so, is, you know, because they really are about more about the interaction. Yeah, it's the, it's the journey begins. rather than the yeah, destination. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's all about that. Right. Well, that's the end of part one, everyone. Let's move on to part two, where we talk about Card Hunter. Jonathan, tell us about this glorious game. Well, um, I think I was saying before. I think I find the best way to describe it is is a mixture between a collectible card game, a board game, mm. and a role playing game. And I, I think yes. it really is just those three things mixed up together, and kind of ex- almost I would hope it, it pretty much exactly what you expect uh, if somebody said they were mixing those three things together. So it's um you know structurally it's it's very much like a traditional computer game RPG where you you know you journey across a, a map and there are dungeons you can go into and there are shops you can buy things from and quests that you go on and so on and inns you can recruit people from too yeah so different characters that you can recruit and you know has most of the sort of things you'd expect from a fantasy RPG uh, and then the the difference is that when you go well the two differences one is that uh, when you go into a battle, it's actually you play it on a it's a turn-based uh, board game that you play on a on a grid board and you move your figures around. Um, but everything you do on that on, in that board game is um, is done by playing cards. So you don't um, you know click on little buttons or, or to, to make your characters attack. They don't have a fixed set of things they can do. Everything they can do is draw. They all draw their own. Uh, hand of cards every turn and that hand of cards dictates exactly what they can do so if you want to walk you have to play a walk card if you want to attack you have to play an attack card if you've got a block card in your hand then your character will block when they get attacked so so everything's done through the cards and then the other big difference is that um, when you equip your character which is you know a very typical kind of paper doll style putting things into slots type equipping thing like you might have in diablo uh, what you're really doing is building that character's deck. So every um, item you equip, whether it's a weapon or a suit of armor or a magic staff or whatever, uh, basically comes with a, a, a set of three to six cards. And when you equip that item, it puts those cards into your character's deck. So it's a sort of indirect deck building game. You don't actually ever pick out individual cards. Every character has their own deck, which is 100% assembled out of which items you've chosen to equip for that character. For that in, for that encounter or... Well, it's like thing. a typical RPG. You know, you, you, can, you can't you can swap items around in the middle of a battle. Nope. You, you have nope. this sort of, you know, f- battle and then you can kind of juggle. You know, you might, you'll find some treasure, so you might decide you want to equip this new sword that you found 
So you drag it in and you replace one of the current weapons that you're carrying, and that will change change the character's deck. Um, and one of the nice things about that is that um, it um, well, there's several nice things I think. One is that it um, it um, sort of bootstraps the deck building process. So I think you know often with these deck building games, you kind of get launched into this sort of like, okay, here's your deck of 60 cards. You know now start swapping things around and it's it can be a little bit overwhelming um this is very much you know reduces the number of decisions you have to make so you you just have to sort of think about do i want to swap this sword for that sword uh and when you do that so like swords for example um have uh six cards associated with them and so different kinds of swords can different kinds of weapons can be built by by us putting together different combinations of cards. So, you know, some weapons have all very high damage attacks, uh, six very high damage attack cards, for example. Other weapons might have, you know, three attacks and three blocks. So you can take, if you want to build a more defensively oriented character, you might take a, a weapon that's focused around parrying instead of a weapon that's focused around doing lots of damage uh, and then there are other weapons that have longer range attacks so a spear might have a lot of range two attacks attack cards associated with it and then we even do kind of wackier things like we have cards that are drawbacks you know that that actually are, uh, do bad things like you know cause you to trip or fumble or whatever and those cards might be thrown into these sweet card suites as a sort of balancing mechanism. So you might find a, you know, a magic sword that has a couple of really, really great high damage, high, high value attack cards, which are sort of balanced out by having a, a trip card associated with that weapon. So it's sort of an interesting sort of idea of bundling these two cards together in these, um, you know, little packets that, I think is a is a you know an interesting twist on the on the deck building approach where you're normally f- free to s- to swap in and out cards as as you feel fit. My own personal experience of deck building games is limited to the living card game stuff like Ascension mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, um, maybe a little bit of uh, Dominion. I'm not a huge mm-hmm. fan of Dominion and the DC and and the legendary um, deck building games. Um, mm. My Magic the Gathering is non exact. Can't play that game. Can't. I've tried and like, no, very, just not feeling it. <laughs> it's a, it's become it's a very complex thing to get into now yeah. because it's, it's come so so far down the track. Um, but the World of Warcraft one, which no longer exists now because of Hearthstone, um, mm. that, I preferred that. It was more mm. it was more straightforward. It's, it was definitely. I mean, Hearthstone and World of, and the World of Warcraft game you mentioned. You know, I think sort of uh, will a very typical sort of blizzard exercise mm. of taking something and, uh, you know, polishing it up and stripping out stuff that, you know, probably doesn't really need to be there. I mean, I magic, mean, yeah. I think is, is incredible because it, you know, was the pioneer in the, in, in mm. the field and it, it got an enormous amount of stuff, right. I mean, it obviously, you know, there's probably, I'm sure Richard Garfield got a chance to redesign and he'd probably do some things differently, but yeah. you know, that's all sort of hindsight at this stage. Whereas obviously someone like Blizzard can kind of come in and take that model and really, really polish it. And yeah, they took it and they made, I mean, lovely about that. And again, with your game as well, that you make the avatar, not you, not this mm. visible person, but on the, on the, you know, on, either on yeah. the board, but a figure. It's like, it's yeah. not you, it's that. Yeah. Well, in our, in our case, it's a it's a it's a party of of three yeah. people. So, we we wanted one of the other things I wanted to do with this game is to is to not just do another card game that, um, you know, was like Magic plus plus. You know, and, and yeah. Magic is is that sort of idea that you know it's you you versus me, and we both have our set of cards, and we summon creatures, and those creatures butt heads, and you know, eventually do damage to your opponent, which is a you know it's a great model and it's really fun and. Magic, I think, is a great game, and Hearthstone's a great game, and you know all the other games that are sort of like that. And we wanted to, uh, I, Card Hunters, you know, shares a lot of draws, a lot of inspiration from those kind of games, but it is actually very different because you don't summon anything in, in Card Hunter. The cards that it's a, you know, every battle starts with all the pieces on the board, and the cards are all actions; they're not creatures that you summon. All no. the cards are attacks or spells or blocks or armor or movement cards, or whatever. So there, and there's no um, there's no playing land. There's no 
um, calc- you know, mana costs. There's no sort of can I cast this or not. If you have a card in your hand, you can use it. And I think that makes the game flow quite nicely because you mm. never have to sort of think about can I afford to cast this or why can't I cast this or whatever. So we And then we all are sort of mono exists in those games for a reason which is to regulate the power of of the cards in your hand and we have a sort of we do all that at the deck building stage through some mm. of the stuff i was i was talking about before true um it's, it, that limiter of of energy or resources is quite important mm. so this is like some specific questions about the game um mm. one of the things that struck me is there's a huge sense of humor Mm. It runs right through it. And, I hope so, uh, yeah. <laughs> and I've just found that in recent times, humour is becoming more and more prevalent in games, maybe the last 10 years or so. I hope so, yeah. Do, do, you, do you think that uh, you're finally getting games that are actually funny? <laughs> um, yeah, I hope so. I mean, f- funny is one of those tricky things, you know, because if yeah. you try, I think if you're trying too hard to be funny, it's generally not really... It's not it often work. isn't that funny. No. Like I don't. I often find games that are deliberate parodies not really that funny. I think the sort of the, the point we didn't sort of approach this from the point of view of like let's make a really funny game. I think well, the, the more the point of view we had was that early fantasy role playing was pretty funny. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in it that wasn't that is you know without and and we don't mean to ridicule it. But it was sort of, it didn't need to be ridiculed because it's pretty ridiculous on its own. It was absurd, um, really. <laughs> yeah, so, it was absurd. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, there was a lot of really silly stuff in it. And we just sort of, um, a lot of, I think, the humor in our game just comes out of that. You know, we're just paying homage to it. We're not, we don't write a lot of jokes. We just think it's fun, inherently quite funny uh, and you know, um, it's, and I think the other thing is that for us, it's, we're not attempting, we don't sort of, we're not mocking it. We really love it. I mean, the reason we're, we're able, I think, if, if we are to, you know, to pull that off is because um, at, at the heart, we, we know all this material because it was a very important part of our lives and we still look at it with a lot of affection. I think if you don't have that affection, if you sort of are very, you know, dismissive or derisive about the material you're working with, then actually I think it doesn't. It's not funny because you're trying to sort of be hurtful. And there's and a fine line between satire and outright sort of maliciousness. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's 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 that thing with all sort of jokes where the intent is is as important as the joke itself, I think, a lot of the time. And it's not, our intent is not to sort of, you know, um, I mean, we were the kids at school who got, you know, punched for being nerds. So yeah, we're not, yeah. like, we're not trying to, like, you know, punch other nerds through the internet. Um, we're trying to, we're actually just sort of celebrating, I suppose, this sort of hobby that we we really enjoyed um, and, and which, are, you know, we, we think is, you know, we still we we thought it was funny at the time, and we we still think is you know has a lot of humour in it now. Yeah, I mean, I still to this day say, "Can I have your character sheet a minute?" And they take it, and then you put it behind the screen, you roll the dice, and then you go, you write something down, and you put, give it back. To <laughs> <laughs> well, what's why? Oh, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> You'll find out later. You'll find yeah. out later. Nothing. Just winding them up, <laughs> nothing, and right. you know that's 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 what you do. It's a stupid mind yeah. games, you know. Yeah. Otherwise, they're just falling asleep or they split the party, which never, never happens. Well, I, w- I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't really be interested in in playing an RPG that you know where people weren't, um, you know, in finding the whole experience humorous. I think it would be, um, which is not to say obviously it's just nothing but humor. But I mean, I think if you, yeah, if you take it too seriously. Um, I'm not probably not interested. No, I, I like to do peaks and troughs, and that's what you've yeah. done in your game too. It's just that there are elements where you are, do, you know, you are engaged and like, oh my god, I'm going to wipe the party, or to the point where that just happened. Well, I've got, mm. I've been hit by a sausage. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> yeah, so, so it's not a, it's not a straight up parody. You know, it's not, it's not Munchkin. It's, but it's, but on the other hand, it's, um, yeah, I, I like to think that it's, you know. Um, it recognises the the inherent humour in a lot of the material. Now, back onto the, the serious side of things. Um, I found this game to be highly tactical. 
Uh, <laughs> over and above strategic, over and above its strategery, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, well, this is a, a, a little bit of a design question. You might go. This is a bit of an odd question, but how did you balance the reactive nature of the tactical play whilst maintaining a sense of fairness? Okay, um, so. Are you referring specifically to what are you referring specifically to? Are you referring to when you say reactive, are you referring to? Well, in a tactical game, that's what the, mm. I found that to be the case. That's, mm. For me, is a defining point of a tactical game, which I enjoy more than a strategic one because I cannot plan ahead. Oh, I'm, right. I see I'm, what you mean. Yeah. I'm, I'm not very good at planning ahead, which is why I like yep. Hard Hunter so much because yep. you are presented with the five cards maximum mm. in your mm. hand at any one time. And there are creatures and things, and, and you have a tactical map to deal with. Yeah, that's yeah. reactive for me. Um, right. There's some yeah, no, it's, two or three turns, yeah. but ultimately that's all you've got. However, it's, it's, how do you maintain a fairness element? Well, to start with, I, th- I think it's a it's an interesting point you make because I ver- feel very much the same way. I'm 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 quite lazy. I I, I like tactical g- games, and I like kind of. Um, you know, making choices, and but I, but I also don't like to be forced to think too hard. So, so I don't really like chess very much, for example. No, because, it's terrible. Yeah. Well, this, because you know the the lack of randomness means yeah. that ultimately you kind of, if you want to play well, you really do have to think very, very hard. And I like games that are a little bit kind of fuzzy and have some dice rolling and stuff like that, so that you. And and deck build and drawing cards from a deck obviously adds a lot of randomness too, mm. so that you kind of kind of wing it. You know, I like sort of making, uh, I like sort of you know making decision informed decisions, but always sort of using just sort of um, a kind of a you know a very sort of fuzzy sort of set of rules to try and figure out what I'm doing, rather than mm. thinking through every possibility and mapping out every you know every well, branch. Well, you're min-maxing the game. You're trying yeah. to optimize. The, the position where two hours from now you will have 5,000 points. I've right. seen it happen all the time when people play Agricola or something. I can't, yeah. can't yeah. play Agricola. I can't. I've tried. I've tried. Yeah. I'm sitting there going, I don't care. <laughs> I just, yeah. I just want to pig. <laughs> look, I think, I think the absolute key to making that work is randomness. You know, yeah. randomness is, is really, really important for me. And it's, then I think the trick is getting, the right amount of randomness. So mm. too much randomness and the game just degenerates into flipping a coin, um, which is sort of fun, you know, for very small kids or if you're feeling really lazy. But, um, you know, I think it's trying to find the right amount. And, and I think that's one of the things I find very attractive about card games in general is that they start out from a point of fairly high randomness because you're shuffling the deck and, and drawing cards out at random. And then we added one more random element to Card Hunter, which was we do have some dice rolling for for when you block or when you have armor that's that might or might not prevent damage. Yeah, yeah. And we were we were a little bit on the fence about that, um, you know, whether or not that was going to that I like was a, that and a good addition or whether it was going too far. Hmm. But we'd already, you know, Card Hunter is sort of fairly deterministic in the sense that it doesn't have. You know, a lot of RPGs would have dice rolling to see whether you hit, and then they might have more dice rolling to see how much damage you do. And we felt though we didn't want those because we were, those were kind of already taken care of through the luck of the draw. Like if you draw a high damage card, you've kind of already made that roll. You know, for, for how much damage you're going to do, and it's mm. a high damage card is going to do it a lot of damage unless it gets blocked, or unless the armor you know stops it. So. It's sort of, I, you know, I can't really say there was a, um, you know, it was all sort of thought through analytically. I think it, it, um, you know, your sort of your initial question was, well, how do you balance all that? And I think yeah. the answer is you do a lot of playtesting um, right. because the systems, I think your systems you're dealing with are so complex at this stage that you can't really predict ahead of time exactly how it's all going to work out. So what we did is we prototyped, you know, with um, actual cards. We, you know, we played, you know, real physical version of the game, and then we um, did another round of prototyping uh, using a, a um, an online tool called Vassal, which is basically a, a, 
just a, a tool that lets you play arbitrary board games or card games. You know, it doesn't enforce the rules. It just lets you move pieces around and your opponent can see where you, what you're doing, you know, through, through a... Um, through the, through the, you know, transmits all the information across the internet. So that that let us do even more playtesting. And then after that, we started, you know, prototyping actual software, you know, with um, rudimentary graphics. And, you know, as we got more and more certain of the system, we, we sort of built it out, you know, in a more um, refined way. And I think that's, that's, to me, that was actually one of the things that I really enjoyed about the project is that working on a, on a turn-based game, there was an opportunity to do an enormous amount of prototyping and, and refine the game design, because if you're building a more, you know, more simulational first-person shooter, for example, you, it's very hard to prototype. You, you sort of have to build the whole. You have to spend a lot of time building a prototype, and the more time you put into building a prototype, the more invested you are in it, and the the, the, the harder it is for you to throw it away and change things. And so. Um, you know, we um, we really enjoyed the sort of disposability of all these prototypes and demos that we did, and I think that sort of really helped helped us get there on the design. I find that playing tabletop games, when I find the maths underlying maths don't work, and I'm sure mm. you've encountered it too, mm. it's it can it can break the game because you go, oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I've found an exploit. I found a, a loop. Yep. Oh, tedious. Yep. <laughs> and I think I think that's not enough playtesting, you know. And yeah. and then it, with us also, we um, you know, we had we were in beta for about six months, so and we had I think forty thousand people in the beta, so you know, we had a lot of playtesting. You know, you can't sub. There's no substitute for having tens of thousands of people play your game and find no. exploits. Yeah, and it's the probability stuff that always bothers me about game design, tabletop mm. game design, or any other game design is that. You know, really, can you match two sixes? What does that give you on a two? On the two? what does that do? I mean, mm. is that really that special? You know, mm. and how does that compare against a five and a four plus? Mm. You know, on right, red yeah. and a blue dice. You know, I mean, how yeah. it's just you end up going, oh god, this is maths, really hard yeah. maths. Yeah. And, uh, well, we did do. You know, we did a lot of spreadsheets too, and we, you know, we did a lot of kind of. The, the actual card hunter from a balance point of view is an absolute nightmare because there are so many competing systems. Yeah. Uh, and it was, it, there was just an enormous amount of sort of backbreaking spreadsheet work done mm. to sort of analyze all this stuff as well. Can't be understated. Um, Can't be understated. It's just... Yeah. And, 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 and also we, um, uh, we, we were very lucky to get the help of um, Richard Garfield and Scaff Elias, who and they, um, Richard Garfield, of course, the guy who invented Magid, and Scaff is was also very heavily involved in developer. Uh, yeah, and King of, of Tokyo. Tokyo. I like King of Tokyo. Yeah, and King of Tokyo, <laughs> and you know, so those guys kind of did he do came, Netrunner? I think he did. Kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they they were involved. You know, we paid them to consult on the project and to give right. us a lot of kind of feedback on on both the sort of initial game design and balance and development, Ooh. and you know, that's sort of always. Like somebody who's done it before is always um, invaluable because they've seen, you know, they've can sort of point out a lot of kind of things that you need to be careful of that you might not have thought of. Hmm. So uh, I think the last question, because my, my ultimate last question we've already covered about free to play, but um, the game runs in a browser. Hmm. So, and yet, as the, I say, yet, um, it's got lovely animation and sound and art styles, terrific stuff. How did you find working in that platform, and would you do it again? Um, it was actually not too bad. Um, what, so it's it's all running in Flash, um, and Flash obviously very mature technology now, and you know design a lot of it is a lot of tools for doing two D animation and and so on. Um, so I think it's it, you know it hasn't really been a problem. I'd say the biggest problem it's been for us has actually just been you know kind of you were sort of almost implying it at the beginning of your question, which is that uh, for you know for better or worse, people tend to think of flash games as being you know fairly disposable, low quality in general. And so if you are a flash browser game, it's quite difficult to convince people that that you know you've built something that's fairly hardcore and fairly high quality. Um, so well, I was surprised sort of with when, I, when I when I you know went on to play the game. Like, hang on, do you need to install something? No, mm. off you go. 
Like, yeah. Okay, this is different. Well, that's uh, why we picked Flash, of course, is, you know, because it's most people already have it installed in their browsers. And you can, you know, you can takes about, I don't know, less than a minute to load the Card Hunter client and then you're basically done. Mm. Um, and you don't have to install anything. And it's, yeah, there's a lot of advantages to it, you know, which is why we did it. We thought it'd be very low barrier to entry and let people try it out without having to download some giant client and so on. And I think that's true, but it sort of comes with a cost, which is that I think there are probably a lot of people who've just sort of ignored the thing entirely because they don't think that a Flash game could ever be worth, um, you know, looking at. I think it's and, the, you know, oh, it's a browser game. Oh, God, mm, Farmville. That's yeah. it. You know, yeah. and you've got to get why over that. Why would I bother? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, why bother? It's just Farmville. So as to whether I'd do it again, I don't actually know because even though I think there's a lot of advantages to it, I think it sort of puts you in a space where people, you know, maybe aren't um, taking you as seriously as they might otherwise. Some of the best games out there started life as a Flash game. Mm, Sure. I think uh, Cannibal was a Flash game. I like Cannibal. Uh, And uh, I think, didn't Angry Birds? Maybe not. Maybe not, but I'm just trying to think of. The- I think a lot of the a lot of the popular games on iOS started out as as flash games. I mean, I don't yeah. know if Angry Birds did, but certainly those sort of catapult type yeah. physics puzzler games were that was a yeah. big thing. There were a lot of flash games like that, and you know, a pop cap. Um, and I guess they're not flash games, but they're um, you know a lot of their stuff is sort of similar, sort of um, certainly inspired you know, by. Yeah. Yeah. So, just on final, I mean, it is free to play, but what what do you what is the financial model? What do you get if you do pump in some money to Card Hunter? Um, so, there's basically there are a bunch of different things that you can buy. You can actually play through the entire single player campaign without paying for anything. So, the model is that um, you can spend money to kind of enhance that experience, sort of accelerate your progress, but you, there's no sort of walls that you have to pay to get through to, to finish the campaign. So there's a number of things you can buy. One of them is what we call the Card Hunter Club, which is basically um, just means you get a little bit more treasure whenever you open a chest in the game. And that's like, a, I guess, sort of like a pseudo subscription. You know, you buy it for a month or so, and it, mm. it just gives you know accelerates your progress. Um, you can buy figures, cosmetic figures. Um, there are some. There's a small percentage of the adventures. Um, I think it's probably about ten or fifteen percent of them that we call treasure hunts. That, All right. That you can pay to. You, you have to pay to play them, and they have a guarantee kind of cool item associated with them if you if you can beat them. You still have to beat them, so you don't you don't just get that item just for for um, paying and you can also just pay to to buy treasure chests which contain sort of random selections of items if you want so you know again none of that is sort of required in any way it's all this sort of completely optional if you feel that you you know really like the game and um, want to enhance your experience or even just make a contribution because you enjoyed the game and think that the developer should, should get some money for yeah for I mean that's it. For, as an old-time um, video game player, I find it difficult to know how much to give. And mm, I think it's yeah. because sometimes... Well, one thing, one, thing we, one thing we did with that, with, with the game, I think to address that concern was, I think there's two concerns there. One is like, well, how much is this worth? And the other is, well, how much am I going to have to end up paying, you know, like if mm. once I start spending? So we, we made what we called the basic edition, which is, um, you know, a bundle... <laughs> It's it's all the treasure hunts that are, you know the extra adventures, it's um, uh, a whole bunch of figures, you know, so there's enough so that there's alternate figures for any kind of character that you want to make, um, and it's, it's the one-off um, price. Just the like, there you go. This is that. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 buy the whole thing for a fixed yeah. price basically, um, which is a, a lot more appealing to some people um, because it's sort of I think just you know they they can be like well that's. I'll just spend that and then I'm done. I don't, you know, need to spend anything more on the game. I'm low, have pretty much everything I need. And that seems like a reasonable price for the game. So that's been quite a popular seller for us. That's good. Right, well, I think we'll, we'll wrap it up there. Thank you very, very much for your time. The game is available now, is it not, on 
all browsers, yes. pretty much anything, anything run that runs Flash, basically. And any browser that runs Flash, I think it's 11.5 or something. It It's based pretty much any browser, except uh, probably not on Safari on your phone. No, I mean, it's not going to run on consoles or anything because it's Flash and consoles. And right. It's all right. HTML5, isn't it? Pretty, but, um, yep. yeah. pretty much any PC or Mac or even people have been running it on, on Linux browsers. Yeah, yeah, because they can run Flash, so it works. Um, yep. So any computer that has a reasonably young browser, I want reasonably yep. young version of Flash. Um, yep. Yeah, and if you haven't installed it yet, then do so. It's great fun. I really enjoy it, and uh, that's why I reached out to these uh, fine people at Blue Menchu to tell me more about it. Uh, Jonathan, thank you very much again for your time. I really, really appreciate it. And, thank you. Um, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. And uh, I wish you the best of luck in the future, in your future endeavours, and with, and with Card Hunter. Great, thank you. And so ends another episode of the Sausage Factory. Do leave us an iTunes review, and you can also, don't forget, listen to us on Stitcher.com. So just go to Stitcher.com, and you can stream the show from there. You just look up the Sausage Factory, and you can find us. That'd be great. You can follow me on Twitter, at Chris O'Regan, no apostrophes. And uh, if you want to email me any feedback on the show, or actually you're a developer, you listen to the show and want your game featured on it, please do email me at chris at spong.com. Bye!